Good morning. May it please the court, my name is Molly Quinn, and I represent the appellant, Thomas Brewer. We're asking the court to vacate Mr. Brewer's conviction for discharging a firearm in connection with a crime of violence under 924C because the underlying offense, voluntary manslaughter, does not qualify as a crime of violence after Davis. Voluntary manslaughter unquestionably qualified as a crime of violence under the residual clause. But that clause, of course, was invalidated as void for vagueness in Davis. Voluntary manslaughter does not qualify as a crime of violence under the remaining force clause in 924C3A. I'll start with the argument about depraved heart recklessness. Voluntary manslaughter does not require the targeted conduct required by the force clause as interpreted by the Supreme Court in Borden. The minimum mental state for voluntary manslaughter has been characterized as depraved heart recklessness. Now, has the Supreme Court ruled on the force clause yet? The Supreme Court has not addressed mental states falling between recklessness and knowledge under the force clause. Has this circuit done so? This circuit has in two cases. Um, it has in the Janice opinion, which addressed second-degree murder and found that the mental state of malice aforethought does qualify as a crime of violence under the force clause after Borden. And then in another case, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it, I'll call it Lungaho, the court found that maliciously in the context of the federal arson statute does not qualify as a crime of violence under the force clause. So our position is that depraved heart recklessness that is sufficient for voluntary manslaughter is not targeted at or consciously directed at another person as required by the Supreme Court in Borden and as interpreted by a panel of this court in the case I just mentioned, Lungaho. The Borden plurality tells us that the against language of the force clause introduces the conscious object of the force, and depraved heart conduct requires an awareness risk but not knowledge of the full awareness of consequent harm required by the force clause. And I'd like to turn back to those two panel opinions that I just discussed, Lungaho about maliciously burning under arson and Janice under malice of forethought for second-degree murder. In Lungaho, the court again held that maliciously in the arson statute does not qualify under the force clause. And according to that panel, maliciously means the willful disregard of a likelihood of harm. In Janice, again, the, the panel found that federal second-degree murder's malice of forethought mental state does qualify under the force clause, finding that that formulation does require conscious direction of force required under the force clause under Borden. And I think that this case, depraved heart recklessness sufficient for voluntary manslaughter, is closer to the willful disregard of harm found insufficient under the force clause in Lungaho than it is to the malice of forethought element found to be sufficient for second-degree murder. Now, why is that? The Janice case does have a section addressing Janice's argument that malice of forethought can be established by depraved heart or extreme recklessness. I'm it, sure you know that. It, I don't. I'm sure you know that. I'm just observing that. The opinion does seem to address the, the same mental state that we have here in that respect. It, it what does. Do say, what do you say about that, I guess, sorry. is my question. Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. It does reach that. I, I would note that two things about that. That does seem to be an alternative argument, or we would reach the same result. There is a footnote questioning whether that analysis is appropriate for malice aforethought, and 
I will emphasize that this opinion, the Janice opinion is very specific about malice of forethought being unique to murder, appearing only once in the federal code, and that of course is the murder statute, and distinguishing federal murder on the one hand from manslaughter on the other hand, this malice of forethought being the element that separates those. But to get back to that discussion in the Janice opinion, I think my reading of that is that it circles right back to the special formulation of malice of forethought. Back to that, I believe the language is intent willfully to take the life of a human being or an intent willfully to act in callous and wanton disregard of the, con excuse me, the consequences to human life. But I would go back again to the point that the Janice opinion takes great pains to talk about malice aforethought, again, is specific to murder, appears only once in the United States Code, and distinguishes between more and less culpable killings, specifically murder versus manslaughter. And there is one point in that opinion where the, the Janice panel specifically distinguishes between the use of malice aforethought to distinguish murder from manslaughter comparing the murder statute with the 15-year maximum for voluntary manslaughter under 18 U.S.C. 1112b. And so our position is that with these two panel opinions, federal voluntary manslaughter follows, is closer to the maliciously conduct found to be insufficient under the force clause in Lungahoe than it is to the special malice aforethought element of second-degree murder. And we did and what provide. What have the other circuits done on this? Is there any update in the law since the briefing? I no, I'm not aware. I'm not aware of any circuit opinions on voluntary manslaughter after Borden. I know that there are some under consideration, but I'm not aware of any opinions that have been issued. What about on the question of extreme, the, the mental state, extreme recklessness, or depraved oh, heart? As far as I know, Lung Ho is the opinion that has found a mental state falling between recklessness and knowledge insufficient under the force clause. I guess I can't. But what about the other circuits? Was my, have the other circuits all come to the opposite conclusion? They have, and I've followed kind of depraved heart and extreme recklessness murders. And the circuits are united on those types of offenses, that depraved heart conduct, in the context of murder falling under the force clause, yes. But you're saying their their murder case is not manslaughter cases. That's correct. But they're the same mental. They are examining the same mental state. Is that right? In those circuits, that that yeah. may be. In our circuit, I guess our position is the Janice opinion is talking about malice aforethought as something special. No, I understand that your position yes. on the our circuit cases and the two opinions. I was asking. What's the law in the other circuits, and has there been anything new? So you're saying the other circuits have all said extreme recklessness is sufficient in the context of murder cases. That's correct. If we consider depraved heart murder, extreme recklessness, however jurisdictions phrase that, if we consider those all being the same, yes, the other circuits are united on that against our position today. Would you see any distinction between murder and manslaughter? I, I do under this court's Janice opinion. Well, no, I, get, I don't want to repeat that. I'm, go ahead. You don't need to repeat that. Okay. And I'd like to turn to 
kind of the example of why voluntary manslaughter does not require the purposeful intent, or excuse me, the directed or targeted conduct required under the force clause. And we did provide an example of at least one prosecution for federal voluntary manslaughter for what was essentially a, a very dangerous automobile accident um, where the defendant was driving at a very high rate of speed, failed to stop at stoplights and a red light, ended up colliding with another vehicle and had a very high blood alcohol content level. In our position is that under Borden, and also if you analogize the example used by the panel in Lungahoe, that type of conduct is not targeted at another person as required by the force clause, and therefore would fall outside the force clause. And I do want to highlight this court's pre-Voisin, pre-Fog, pre-Borden opinion in United States versus Boos, where in the context of the sentencing guidelines, the Eighth Circuit considered an Arkansas statute that covered essentially what was extreme recklessness. That statute covered physical injury to another person under circumstances exhibiting extreme indifference with a reckless state of mind. And the court found that even though that was extreme indifference recklessness, that that still was insufficient under the force clause. And we think that is instructive in this case as well. And before I reserve the remainder of my time, I do want to address the argument that a 924C prosecution would necessarily involve a firearm. And that was raised in the government's briefing. And it is mentioned in the Ninth Circuit's Begay opinion, the majority opinion there. And I'd just like to clarify that the definition of crime of violence that we're looking at today does not require a firearm. That 924C, the statute itself, does two things. One, it creates a standalone crime, this use or discharge or brandishing of a firearm in connection with a crime of violence. 924C and 924C3 creates a definition of crime of violence that applies to these prosecutions and also in dozens of other contexts in the federal code. And that's a point that is made in the majority opinion in the Davis opinion, which struck down the residual clause, making the point that this force clause that we're talking about today doesn't just apply in prosecutions for using a firearm in connection with a crime of violence. It applies in other prosecutions for things that don't have anything Maybe to do. Maybe I'm missing something, but I, I haven't heard you address whether um, when, when, when Borden mentioned Fogg but didn't mention McCoy, why isn't McCoy binding on our panel? We believe that McCoy is not binding because it is based on precedent that was either specifically distinguished in Borden, and that would be the Vazine case, or abrogated, which is the Fogg case. I, you know, I, that's, that's a stretch for a panel. I would... Okay, I would continue. I mean, that. If, it, if it's not if it's not overruled, it's not overruled, and it's controlling on a, our panel under Mater, isn't it? I I don't believe it is because I believe that it is cast into doubt by intervening Supreme Court precedent, specifically the Borden opinion. And Borden itself distinguished one stat. One, excuse me, one case relied on by the court in McCoy, and that's Voisin, because that was a different statutory context and then did abrogate Fogg, which was our circuit's case on simple recklessness under the force clause before Borden. And so the McCoy opinion just did not have an occasion to address the difference between ordinary recklessness and extreme recklessness or depraved heart recklessness. And this court, in a couple of opinions at least, has recognized that Borden has caused this court to have to re-examine some prior settled law 
There's one case that I cited in the reply brief. Again, it's another one I don't know how to say. Cungtion, C-U-N-G-T-I-O-N, and that one is cited in the reply brief, just recognizing that there are some simple proclamations that this court previously made that need to be reexamined in light of Borden. And another case is a case called Frazier, and that was a case about Iowa intimidation with a dangerous weapon. Again, saying, yes, this court has a prior panel opinion on this statute. We have to reexamine that in light of the Borden opinion. And that one is not cited, but I can provide that citation in a 28-J letter. And if there are no questions now, I will reserve the remainder of my time. Thank you, Ms. Quinn. Thank you. Mr. Colliner. Morning, may it please the court. My friend and colleague, Ms. Quinn, I'm Kevin Colliner from the U.S. Attorney's Office in South Dakota. I'm here uh, today to respectfully request that this court affirm the district court's order dismissing Mr. Brewer's 2255 motion. Your Honors, there's a very straightforward way to decide this appeal. Uh, this court has decided the exact question presented here in Judge Colleton's opinion in McCoy just a few years ago. And in Borden, the plurality made it explicitly clear that the decision had no bearing on depraved heart or extreme recklessness offenses. The dissenters were even more explicit that they would uh, hold that those sorts of offenses still continue to qualify. Um, in this appeal, Mr. Brewer agrees that voluntary manslaughter is such an offense, a depraved heart or extreme recklessness offense. Now, in Janice, Section C of that opinion deals with this very question of uh, what of these depraved heart or extreme recklessness offenses post-Borden, and this, uh, the panel there could not have been more clear. Uh, it began by saying that even if this court uh, adopted Janice's approach, that malice aforethought meant essentially the same thing as depraved heart or extreme recklessness, it would reach the same result. Uh, Borden did not decide uh, depraved heart recklessness, and so uh, the court in Janice held that extreme recklessness also approaches the definition of knowledge that makes it a sufficient mens rea uh, to suffice for a uh, violent crime post-Borden. The court also, uh, quoting Baez-Martinez, a uh, case I believe from the First Circuit, said, because the risk from extreme reckless conduct is so high, the harmful result nears practical certainty that force will be applied to another person. Um, every other circuit considering the issue post-Borden post has concluded the same. Uh, in Janice, the court also held that reckless driving cases are unhelpful because they are not ordinary reckless cases. It also distinguished the Boos case uh, that my uh, colleague just discussed, uh, noting that even though that statute in the Boos case uh, dealt with a higher than ordinary reckless standard, the analysis in the case uh, presumed it to be an ordinary reckless standard and, and analyzed it as such. In other words, back in, I think, 2012 or 2013, when that was decided, this precise question wasn't in focus. Um, so it's not just about reaffirming McCoy, uh, which, of course, has not been abrogated well, uh, by the Supreme we, Court. It's also that it's been reaffirmed. McCoy hasn't been McCoy relied on fog, which has been abrogated. 
and it didn't address this question of right extreme recklessness versus ordinary recklessness. McCoy just said, well, if ordinary recklessness is enough, then certainly extreme recklessness is enough. Right, because that was the task at hand at the time, yeah. just a but couple you years ago. you keep saying that that's still good law, but the, the premise is eliminated. Yeah. Perhaps a more precise way to say it is the result in McCoy has been reaffirmed in uh, Janice, uh, in the sense that if McCoy... Well, McCoy is before the court today, right? Um, but the panel in Janice, um, and of course Judge Colleton, I know you're quite familiar with that opinion, um, reaffirmed all, that reasoning. We're all familiar with right, it. We've right, we've all read it. Right. Um, and you know, the, the question was asked, well then what's the distinction between uh, murder and manslaughter, and in particular voluntary manslaughter? Well, this court has answered that question uh, Judge Kelly's opinion in U.S. v. Stewart uh, from 2018 that's cited in the briefings uh, talks about that voluntary manslaughter functions more like a partial defense to murder, describing conduct undertaken intentionally but in the heat of passion. Uh, it would be murder, but it's committed under uh, some level of reasonable provocation. Uh, in McCoy, of course, Stewart is uh, quoted, but also this Tenth Circuit case, uh, U.S. v. Sarawap, is quoted. In that case, it uh, does sort of a deep dive uh, in the uh, common law history of voluntary manslaughter, uh, relying largely on uh, Mullaney v. Wilbur, a Supreme Court case, not cited in the briefings, but it's cited in a number of these uh, cases. It's 421 U.S. 684. Um, that talks about how manslaughter... Uh, arrived to the scene in common law because there was this uh, issue with uh, the capital sentence for homicide offenses. And so voluntary or manslaughter became an offense that was determined to be less culpable, not because it didn't involve an intentional uh, killing, all the same mens rea of murder, but that it was occasioned by some reasonable provocation. What, uh, ca what case are you referring to there? Uh, Sarah Wap. Uh, that's, that's cited in the briefings, but also in, in a number of the other cases. Mullaney v. Wilbur is an old Supreme Court case that Sarawak relies on that does a, a, a deep dive into the common law history as well. So when we ask the question of, of what's the distinction between murder and, and, and voluntary manslaughter, it's not about the depraved heart recklessness mens rea. It's about this sort of separate question of whether there's malice aforethought which can be negated in voluntary manslaughter cases if there is some kind of reasonable provocation. What's a reasonable prov provocation? Well, it's right there in the statute, right, on a sudden quarrel or in the heat of passion. Um, and when we try to apply that then to the plurality's reasoning in Borden, that distinction matters not in terms of whether it uh, retains this oppositional requirement that's important to the justices. I'll just give you one example from the plurality opinion. They, you know, they give these series of kind of prototypical cases when they're going through the mens rea states, and they talk about the hasty getaway driver, right? Someone who uh, drives a car, sees a pedestrian, and plows ahead anyway. Well, that could describe murder, but it could also describe voluntary manslaughter, right? Um, so there's a, in right after that, the plurality says, you know, that would, would clearly still qualify. Um, 
So, I mean, this court has been clear that the mens rea for voluntary manslaughter, Mr. Brewer agrees, uh, is of a level that this court in Janice found to still qualify post-Borden. Uh, the point that was made in my briefing about the firearm uh, context of this, I would like to address that. Are you going to address the arson case at all? Or are you just going sure. to just ignore it? No, I know, and I, I don't intend to ignore that. It seemed to be the lead argument from the right. From Brewer. Right. Thank you, Your Honor. You know, in, in that case... Uh, you know, there's a question out there of how many mens rea states do we have post-Borden? And uh, certainly we've got, you know, negligence, we've got um, uh, recklessness, we've got knowledge, we've got uh, uh, malice aforethought now. And, and I think in that Lunga Howe case, apparently we have something between recklessness and extreme recklessness um, described as, in the context of arson, that malice means willful disregard of a likelihood of harm. And uh, that was found by that panel to, uh, by this court, to not uh, be enough. But, of course, when uh, in Janice, uh, there was an edit made to the Janice opinion after Lung Howe, which distinguishes uh, that level from extreme recklessness, um, pointing out that, that there is a, um, a difference between the likelihood of damage to connected property in the arson um, uh, context and extreme recklessness in the uh, murder or voluntary manslaughter context, as in this case. I think what was driving uh, Lunga Howe, if, if I can guess, is that there's something distinct about arson, right? When you, uh, it's the nature of burning something. And so you have the example of someone who intends to light fireworks and the burning spreads to something perhaps unintended. And that uh, sort of runs into concerns when we talk about the oppositional element uh, in Borden. Uh, I don't think it describes extreme or depraved heart recklessness in which uh, there's a conscious disregard of the, uh, of, of the danger, of the consequence of human life, um, which is you know, sort of a different standard entirely. So my view is that the significance of that opinion uh, is quite limited to the federal arson context. Uh, Council brought up the point that I made in the briefing about uh, the context here is, of course, 924C. And um, you know, essentially, I guess the question I'm asking is, well, why are we talking about, say, reckless driving cases when there's a requirement that a gun is involved. And that's a point sort of made by the Ninth Circuit in Begay and made by, I think, Inri Irby was the other uh, uh, circuit case that we've cited. I've, I've come to a sort of different perspective on this question, and the reason is, is maybe a practical one, which is the categorical approach is here to stay, and we're going to have to grapple offense by offense uh, through what qualifies and what doesn't qualify. I think the court has all the tools it needs to decide uh, voluntary manslaughter uh, and how uh, that should be applied not only for 924C but also for, say, ACCA and other contexts. Um, and so, and I also 
uh, agree uh, that there is a definition uh, within that that's applicable elsewhere. So, um, so that's me somewhat walking away from that uh, contextual distinction, even though there's uh, courts that, that make a fair point, I think. But I have a few minutes left. Are there left. any other circuits on voluntary manslaughter, or are they all murder cases? I, I think this is the first one, Your Honor, um, that, that I know of. There may be some. I heard Ms. Quinn say that there are some in process, but I think all the other ones are, are murder cases. Um, in terms of the question of other circuits that speak kind of directly to this depraved heart uh, standard, um, the ones in particular, I know it's now kind of a long list of, of string sites. I would refer the court particularly to Baez Martinez from the First Circuit, Begay from the Ninth, Harrison from the Sixth, a new one, uh, Kepler from the Tenth Circuit, and Manley from the Fourth Circuit. Uh, all are in accord with Section C of Janice uh, discussing extreme or depraved heart recklessness. Now, are those all in the briefs you referred to, quote, a new one? It's in, the, it's in their reply brief. I believe it came out after uh, the, the government's brief. brief, yeah. That was the Tenth Circuit? Yes. Anything else? Uh, nothing more for me, Your Honors, unless there's any questions. I'd simply ask that the district court's order be affirmed. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Colliner. Thank you. I'd like to start with the getaway driver example discussed in Mr. Colliner's argument. And I just wanted to make clear that the example from Borden provided was an example of knowledge. And it is undisputed that voluntary manslaughter does not require knowledge. It requires something less than that. So that particular example is not instructive here. But what we do know is that a person can violate the voluntary manslaughter statute by some sort of driving-related conduct that results in a death that was not necessarily known or practically certain to result. And under the force clause, as interpreted by Borden, in particular, this, pan this court's panel opinion in Lungahoe, that falls short of the force clause. And I wanted to get back to that Lungahoe arson opinion um, and address the argument that there's something unique about arson. And I think if you look at what that opinion actually held, which is that maliciously relying on the common law, including murder cases, um, requires a willful disregard of the likelihood of harm. And that is essentially what voluntary manslaughter requires at minimum as well. And so the only difference between, in our view, between arson and voluntary manslaughter just gets at an irrelevant part of the statute or an immaterial part of the statute for this discussion, which is the use of physical force against the property or person of another. But those in this force clause that we're here for today, both provisions are covered, force to the property and force to the person. And so it is our position that despite the Janice opinion, that voluntary manslaughter is closer 
to the maliciously element interpreted in Lungahoe and found to be insufficient for the force clause than it is for the specifically distinguished malice aforethought element for second-degree murder in the Janice opinion. And I just wanted to take a step back and kind of reorient us. At the time of Mr. Brewer's conviction, voluntary manslaughter qualified as a crime of violence. It did so under the residual clause. That clause was invalidated as void for vagueness by the Supreme Court, and voluntary manslaughter does not, for the reasons we've discussed, qualify under the remaining force clause. And so the question isn't whether voluntary manslaughter ever qualified as a crime of violence. It did under the residual clause. The question is whether it still does today. And for the reasons we've discussed, we submit that it does not. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Quinn. Thank you also.